All right, so this morning, um, Char and I are going to do a little bit of a tag team teach on a topic uh, that we've shared. Um, we've shared it with the pastoral staff. We've shared it with the extended staff. We've shared it in many different contexts, but we never did get to share it on a Sunday morning, so we felt like this would be a good uh, time to do that. But before we jump into that, um, there's a few things that we want to pray about. I'd like you to pray with me this morning. Um, obviously, there's crazy things happening all around the world, right? We, uh, we're aware of the massive earthquake in Haiti. You know, we have lots of ministry in Haiti. We'll be hearing more about that in the days ahead, what, uh, what God is doing in the midst of the chaos there. We know about uh, the chaos in Afghanistan and the plight of the people of Afghanistan now that the Taliban has taken control of the nation again. Uh, we, we want to pray for that this morning. Uh, but more close to home, we want to pray for the families of um, two um, people that have served here for many, many years. So first of all, um, Joy Newman, the wife of Gary Newman. Gary. Uh, was our junior high pastor for many years. Uh, Joy went to be with the Lord this week, and it was unexpected and sudden. She actually had gone into the hospital for a um, relatively minor surgery and slipped and fell and hit her head and had a stroke and ended up passing away. So we want to pray for Gary. We want to pray for the family. Um, they've all been very much a part of our lives and ministry here for many, many years. And then just uh, last night, Bill Nickel. Uh, Bill has been an usher here for many years. He's the one on the left, the older gentleman. Bill was 88 years old. And um, I think he was here at church just last Sunday. And so uh, Bill has also gone to be with the Lord. And, you know, God bless these saints that have entered into glory. But their families, of course, have remained behind and are feeling that sting. So would you join me as we pray for them this morning? Father, we want to pray for uh, Bill's family. We thank you, Lord, that many were able to gather around him and to uh, bid him farewell and to pray for him and to worship with him. Uh, we thank you for his many years of faithful service here. And Lord, we thank you that he's in glory. And Lord, we pray for Gary Newman. We pray for the whole uh, Newman family. Lord, we think of um, the kids and the grandkids and um, all of them that will be deeply uh, impacted by Joy's sudden departure. And we pray, Jesus, for your peace to reign over their lives in this situation. We pray that, Lord, you would comfort them. And again, Lord, we, we sorrow, but not like those who have no hope. And so we know that joy has likewise entered into glory. So may the family be carried uh, by your spirit through this season and blessed. 
Lord, we pray for the situation in Afghanistan. And Lord, it's so complicated and you know all of the ins and outs of it. Lord, we thank you that um, where things are impossible with people, that Lord, you're able. And so we commit the situation to you. Lord, we pray that you would work on every level from uh, the political and governmental levels, uh, the international community, right down to the very individual uh, Afghan person who desperately needs the help and the grace of God. Lord, we, we think of this satanic stronghold of Islam over these nations, and we pray that you would break that stronghold. We pray that in the midst of this madness that the gospel would come in like a flood into that nation, that many, many would turn to Christ. Strengthen your people, Lord. We know that there are believers in the nation. We know they're very much a minority, but God, we just ask you to be with them, to strengthen them, to give them the courage of lions Lord, that they would not flinch or back down, but Lord, that they would know that you are with them. Lord, that you would protect them, that you would deliver them. And Lord, some might even give their lives for the gospel, and may they do so with great joy and boldness to the confusion of their enemies. Lord, we even pray for the Taliban. We think of uh, Saul of Tarsus, who was on a rampage against believers and going door to door. And Lord, how you arrested him and turned him into the great Apostle Paul. We pray that there would be Taliban leaders and, and uh, soldiers that would come to faith in Jesus. So we commit that to you, Lord. We pray for Haiti. We think of um, Brian McDaniel and we think of all of those who are connected to us here in that country. Lord, you know it's been a place of utter craziness and chaos for so long. And now with this earthquake, Lord, again, we pray for your mercy over that land. And we commit the people to you. We pray for the churches. We pray for the believers. We pray that your grace and mercy might cover them all. And, and Lord, we pray for uh, folks on the East Coast uh, with this uh, storm that was a hurricane, uh, but now downgraded to a tropical storm. But nevertheless, uh, it's impacting uh, people. So we just pray for your grace and your mercy and your protection over your saints. And Lord, again, use these crazy things. As you're shaking the nations, may people turn to you, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Well... Charts coming out here. And actually, this stuff that we're witnessing as part of the message that we want to share this morning, because there's that passage in Haggai chapter 2 that we're going to look at in a second, where the Lord says, I will shake the nations. And, you know, that is... With, with, with prophecy that we have in the Old Testament, what you have oftentimes is you have, um, obviously it's speaking of a, of a you know, primary 
um, event that will take place at a point in time. But oftentimes you have, um, you have a near fulfillment. And then even throughout history, you have sort of like uh, partial fulfillments that are all pointing to and leading up to uh, the, the grand fulfillment of the word that was given. And so we want to, to look at some of the things that are happening in the world today from that perspective. But Char and I were having a conversation of a couple of months ago, actually. He initiated this conversation. So we wanted to tell you about that and kind of set the stage for why we're doing what we're doing today. So go ahead. Good morning, church. Good to see you guys. Great to be back. Uh, yeah, so uh, a couple months ago, I was listening actually to a Bible study um, by a pastor in New York City. And he was talking about what Brian's talking about, that there are these um, moments throughout history, biblical history, Christian history, where we have seen God break in in such a powerful way. And these are moments that really give us hope as the people of God. You remember the psalmist, he said this line, I would have lost hope unless I believed I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And so we think that these moments are a picture of God's goodness, or maybe, if you will, of heaven breaking into earth, of the kingdom of God touching down in such a way, moments of renewal, moments of revival. And so as I was listening to this pastor, he was talking about Habakkuk chapter 3, and it begins this way, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. And so he was talking about taking those promises that we believe the Lord has given and claiming them, not in a way that we would say, you have to do this, Lord, but really pleading with the Lord and doing that as a community, taking hold of these promises, like we're gonna talk about this morning, Haggai chapter two, Psalm 85, and saying, Lord, in our time, in our day, do this work. And so I was listening to this teaching and just getting really encouraged and stirred up by it. And so I went in and I was talking to you and just saying, hey, for many, many years, Haggai chapter two has been such a powerful word of promise to you and something that has given you incredible hope. Have you shared that with our staff? Have we shared that with our congregation? Because this is something that we should invite our community to partner with us in so that we would together say, Lord, in our time, in our day, do this. And so that's basically how this has come about. Yeah, so, so that was a reminder to me of the, the many times over many years that, that God you know, had spoken this specific promise to me. And quite honestly, when Char you know, came to me with that, it had been quite a while since I even thought about the passage. Um, let me read it to you. It's just nine verses. It's in the second chapter of Haggai. And the, the context is the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem after the Babylonian captivity. So this is a, a, a rebuilding. There, there was a glory in the past. There was a, this wondrous history of all that God had done when he brought them out of Egypt and settled them in the land and you know, gave them all the blessings that, that he had promised and so forth. But now all of that is so far behind them and they've been in this, uh, the Northern Kingdom has been carried away to Assyrian uh, captivity. The Southern Kingdom has now just a, um, 
a very small number of them have come back to uh, Jerusalem and they're, they're picking up the pieces and they're, they're you know, rebuilding for the future, but they're discouraged. It is a discouraging situation. And so God sends these two prophets. He sends Haggai and Zechariah. And they come and they prophesy to Zerubbabel and to Joshua. So Zerubbabel is the governor and Joshua is the high priest at the time. So that's the background there. And so let me pick up. It says, in the second year of King Darius, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel governor of Judah, to Joshua, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house, this temple, in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land, I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of the latter house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty, and in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty." So, so this is this promise, and you can imagine uh, with the discouragement that they were all facing how this would have just so much uh, blessed them and, and bolstered their faith. Now, I want, this, this is something that struck me as I was reading over this last night and today. The thing that really struck me is what the Lord says. Um, he says, this is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt and my spirit remains among you. Now think about that. 1,000 years approximately have passed since they came out of Egypt. And all of the history in between, all of the success and more failure than success, all of the disappointment, all of the sin, all of the misery. And there would undoubtedly be the temptation to think that those promises were no longer valid. I mean, they, they could easily think, we've, we've messed things up so bad, surely uh, God's not gonna keep those promises. We, you know, we broke the covenant with him, uh, he, he's probably finished with us. But, but yet the Lord says, he reminds them of the covenant that he made with them all those centuries ago. And, and this is what that's, this is what spoke to me from this today. You know, God gives promises and we look for an, omi uh, an omediate, we look for an, an immediate fulfillment 
And oftentimes we don't see it. And then time passes and more time passes and more time passes. And we begin to wonder, did God really give that promise? Did I really hear that from the Lord? Was that really him? Maybe, maybe it wasn't. And we, and we start to doubt. And what God does is, is just what he did here for the people. He brought these prophets to remind them, no, my promise is still valid. And so here's the thing for me with this. This passage, now I, I believe this, and I think most of you believe this too. I believe God speaks to us through the Bible. I believe he speaks to our very personal circumstances in life. I believe that he speaks to us about his calling, his will, his plan, his purposes. I believe that he speaks to us about all of that. So a couple decades ago now, when Cheryl and I returned from England to the U.S. and here to California and specifically here to Costa Mesa, after having been gone from this place for almost 20 years, this was the word that the Lord gave us, part of the encouragement and the promise that he gave us um, as we were coming back here. That he, basically, to summarize it, we, we came back with a promise that God was going to do something fresh in the days ahead. And so for the past 21 years, we have been um, believing that, and we've been working toward that end, and we've been praying toward that end. But quite honestly, there are times when it doesn't look like that is what's happening. And I think the culmination of all of that would be when COVID hit, and then, um, you know, uh, all churches were suddenly reduced, not not the opposite, you know, it's, it's like the promise is that God's going to do this greater thing, and we look around and think, wow, doesn't look like much of a greater thing. So, but from that time on, on various occasions, God has reminded me, as he so faithfully does, and, and sometimes that's when you least expect it. And so over, over the long years, the 20 plus years, and, and there's so many things that have transpired over these 21 years that I, um, it would take a long time to tell you about them. Some of the things I can't even tell you about because of the nature of them. Um, but you know, it, it's been a long battle and there's been lots of discouragement along the way and, and so forth. So, you know, there are those times when you, you just wonder, did, did I really hear this from the Lord? But then he comes along and he brings that Haggai or he brings that Zechariah. He brings that prophetic word back to you in a way that's unmistakable. So when Char brought this up to me, I was reminded again, oh yeah, I hadn't really thought about this passage for a while. And then going back and reading it and finding that, man, it seems even more relevant today than it has at any other time in our history. And especially this part right here. Um, ask the remnant of the people 
Who of you is left who saw this house at its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? So, you know, here we are. And specifically, you know, we have this history at this church of overflow, of, of plenty, of, of unbelievable blessings, of multitudes of people coming and going, and, you know, all of these things happening. And for some today who are saying that the Lord's at work, others are saying, what do you mean the Lord's at work? You know, we were here back in those days when the Lord was really at work. Well, that was the, that was the mentality among the crowd at the time. But the Lord speaks to them in response to that. The glory of the latter house will be greater than the glory of the former, even though it doesn't, that doesn't even seem possible. So... Um, a couple things I, I just want to touch on, and, and then I'm going to turn things over to Char, but let me, let me tell you what happened after, between today and when he came in and mentioned this to me a month and a half or two months ago. So since then, like I said, we shared this with the pastoral staff. We shared it with the larger staff. I actually did sort of a teaching on this on Wednesday night. Some of you might have been there and you remember that. Um, I have preached this message in different contexts over the years as a, as a means of encouragement uh, for people. Um, but back in June, we had a, um, a pastors and leaders conference. And, you know, people come from all different parts of the world to that conference. And there's a couple that came, and they came from the country of Georgia, uh, country of Georgia was a former um, part of the former Soviet Union. It's over in that um, Eurasia part of the world. So they came. We have a great friendship with them. We support them as missionaries, the Gorleys. And, you know, they're here. They're enjoying the conference. So I was outside, right outside the, um, the foyer there, and I was talking to Jed and Renee. And Renee... Uh, they, were, they were just saying, thank you for the conference. What a blessing. We're, we're being so encouraged and so on. And then Renee looks at me and she says, can I speak to you uh, privately for a moment? And I said, oh, okay, sure. So, you know, we took maybe two or three steps to the side of, of the group that was gathered. And she said, I, I need to share something with you. She said, my brother, David. Now, her brother, David, is a... Um, missionary pastor in Siberia. Uh, so they belong to the Markey family. You guys might have heard about the Markey family. We've featured them. They're, they're all on the mission field. Uh, George went to be with the Lord some years ago. Pam, the mother, the matriarch, uh, she's serving as the director of the Bible College in Georgia now after having served in Hungary. Anyway, you know, th this is an amazing family. So David, he's in um, he's in the heart of Siberia, ministering there. And he says to Renee, he knows that she's coming. He says, would you please tell Pastor Brian um, that the Lord spoke something to me for him, but I was afraid to share it with him. And so would you share it with him? <laughs> so she, she lays the whole thing out. That's the preface. She says, and I, and, you know, I remember being with David and we were talking and we were spending time together and I, I, I never sensed that he had some big thing to share with me, but evidently he did, but he chickened out. So, um, so this is what she said. 
she said, are you familiar with Haggai chapter 2? And I just, I mean, it was one of those moments where I thought, oh boy, here we go. It was, and this is the point, God keeps his promises. And even when we forget about them at times, he brings them back and he reminds us again of those things. So that was to me just a fresh reminder that this passage has not been something that I just conjured up like, wow, this is a great passage. I want this for my life or wishful hoping that, man, I sure wish God would give me a promise like this. This is something that God has spoken to me at least a dozen times over the past 21 years. And that last time was just like, you know, kind of the nail in the coffin in the sense like, okay, Lord, you are speaking this. But really quickly with that, let's just look at what it says. So this is what the Lord is instructing them to do. He's telling them based on the fact that he's not finished, that there's still work, that there's still something that he's doing. He's going to fulfill his promise. And so what does he say to them? The first thing he says to the leadership and to the people is be strong. Be strong. He speaks to Zerubbabel, Joshua, and all the people. So it's a message to everyone. Be strong. These are days to be strengthened spiritually. These are days to be strong. These are days not to faint or to lose heart, but these are days to uh, have faith. And, and like the passage Tar reminded us of in Psalm, I, I would have lost heart unless... I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So this is how we fight against discouragement and losing heart is we believe. So be strong, be strong in faith. And then the next thing he says is work, work. This means keep at it. Keep doing what God has called you to do. Keep taking steps of faith. Don't stop. Because there's a temptation to get overwhelmed. There's a temptation to think, oh, I don't know, maybe this is never going to happen. And, and to, through that kind of discouragement, just to sort of, you know, pull back on the work. God say, no, keep working. I'm working. And let me give you a clue. I want to give you a clue that will help every one of you. Spend more time in your Bible than you do watching cable TV and cable news. Because listen, if you spend all your time watching cable news, you will lose heart. It is a hopeless scenario that is being painted out there. Get in your Bible. Look at the promises of God. Keep your eye on what God is doing. Because God is working and he's calling us to work. Now, he says... Right here, here it is. I will shake the heavens and the earth, the dry land and the sea. I will shake all nations. Man, we are living in the shaking, aren't we? I, I remember as we came into the 21st century, you know, as we left the 20th century, we thought, good riddance. Man, thank God that's over. What a nightmare. Two world wars, all the insanity that transpired in the 20th century. 
And I, and I even remember myself thinking in the 21st century, I don't know why I was thinking this, but like, man, you know, maybe, maybe things will get better. Oh, boy. Man, we've gone from the frying pan into the fire. It is crazy. But why is it crazy? God's shaking the nations. God is doing this stuff. And again, that's another secret to survival. If we think that all of this is just the machinations of, of evil humans or the work of the devil, then again, we're going to be super discouraged. But if we realize, no, God is shaking up the world. COVID is a God thing. He's shaking the world. He's shaking people up. And so is what's happening in the Middle East. And so is what's happening in the craziness of the United States of America and almost every other place on the planet. There's a shaking going on. God is shaking things up. But then what does it say? And this is really the key, that I will shake all nations and the desire of all nations will come. Now, this is a, a bit of a perplexing statement. There's there's dispute among scholars as to what this actually means. And if you read um, the ESV or you read the CSB, um, it actually says, and the treasure of all nations will come. That's not what the Hebrew text says, but they sort of figured that it talks about silver and gold, so the desire is maybe the treasure of the nations. But the word is literally the desire of the nations. Here's the deal. The ancient rabbis they believed that this was a reference to the Messiah. That's how they understood it. The desire of all nations was the Messiah. That what everyone is really longing for, even though they don't know it, is the coming of the kingdom of God. And so God says, I'm going to shake the world, and the Messiah is going to come. Or people are going to come to the Messiah. Now, we know that the, the total fulfillment of this passage is that the Messiah will come. But the partial fulfillment is that the Messiah will come personally for people. And this is what's happening today. God is using these shakings to turn people to himself. And listen, when people come to Christ, you know what they need next? They need to become part of God's family. They need to be in a place where God is uh, worshiped and honored, where his word is taught, where the life of the kingdom is happening. And that's where we are to keep working and keep building ourselves up in the most holy faith. So as God brings in this multitude of people that he will bring in, that we're ready to receive them. So these are the things that, that I do believe this passage is talking about. Now, just really quickly, they're going to roll really fast just through um, some slides from the, the two events that I was involved in, and uh, Char was involved in the second one. So, you know, we were just in the UK. We had our 20th um, uh, Creation Fest. Our 19th Creation Fest was virtual. It was all online because it had to be. Here, here is the Creation Fest we just had. Now, England is... The UK itself, um, outdoor festivals or you know Christian festivals, this is a big thing. So we are one of probably 10 festivals in the country. And then there are many non-Christian events that are similar but without Christ. Um, so here's the, here's the thing. We were the only event 
in the whole country. We were the only ones who had a live event. Now, it was unbelievably difficult to get to this event. I mean, we had so many hurdles, so many things, so many moments where we thought we can't do it this year. But we just had this conviction. God was just saying, keep pressing through. So, you know, the average number of people at this festival normally would be 10 to 12,000 people. So we figured, man, if we get 1,000 people, we will be so excited. We had about 5,000 people come out. And I cannot tell you how many people said to me, thank you for your faith. Thank you for what you did. And one, one friend, he came and he had tears. He said, he said, I have not been in a room with more than five people for 18 months. And he said, walking on this site and seeing hundreds of people worshiping God, he said, it just overwhelmed me. And man, it was so beautiful. It was so powerful. And then also, uh, that's the site there. But then also from there, we spent a week in Austria. Now, many of you know this. This castle was purchased by Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa in 1989. So we have been doing ministry from this base for 30 years in Europe. Now, let me just say something about Europe. We think about Europe like cool place to go on a vacation, all of the history. It's all amazing, and it is amazing, and it is beautiful. But Europe is one of the greatest mission fields in all the world. One of the greatest. It, you got Asia, you got these different places. Europe is just as much a mission field as anywhere else is. There's a Christian history there, but it's, it's so checkered. And in these days, um, but God is moving. So here's some of the folks. Um, we gathered with them. We encouraged them from the surrounding countries. All of that to say, this is part of the evidence to us. God is at work. And he's telling us, keep working, keep investing, keep building, keep doing what I've called you to do, and do it in faith, and watch and see that the glory of the latter house will be greater than the glory of the former. Now, sorry, I went way longer than I thought I was going to, so. It's okay. You now have the task of finishing Wrapping up. it up. Yes. Okay. Let's go. Psalm 85 uh, has been this passage of scripture that has brought me incredible encouragement and I think some clear direction as to kind of what Brian's talking about, how that comes about. So just a little bit of background. Psalm 85 is a lament psalm and it kind of has three parts to it. And even as Brian was talking, you can kind of see how the first three verses are pre-exilic. So this is a ex, uh, post-exilic psalm, meaning it's after the Babylonian exile. So verses one through three are written kind of in the pre-exilic context. This is how it was. And then verses four through seven are kind of the exile. This is their longing in exile. And then verses eight all the way through 13 are post-exile, what they're expecting. So let me just read it real quickly and then talk a little bit about it. So Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Lord, you, 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 all eyes are on you, all the good things that you do. You're present, you're powerful, you're in our midst. Verse four. Do it again, God, or restore us again, O God of our salvation. 
and put away your indignation toward us? Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Now, oh, one last verse, sorry. Show us your covenant love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. So as I said, this is a post-exilic psalm written after the Jews had returned from 70 years of captivity. And as the psalmist looks around at the desolation in the land, the temple, the walls of Jerusalem being broken, and even the disunity among the people of God, he remembers all the ways in which God had been faithful throughout their history. He's looking back, as Brian was saying, to the establishment of the kingdom of David, the deliverance out of Egypt, all of these ways that God was present, faithful, and at work. And it brings him to this moment to cry out, revive us again, or, or do what you've always done. And this is kind of what we were talking about earlier. There have been these moments throughout history where God has broken in again, even preceding the coming of Christ. God has been faithful to revive and renew his people. And that's what the psalm is about. Do what you have always done, O Lord, and do it now. Renew us, bring fresh life, health, goodness to your people. Now, The psalm then takes this turn, and I've taken to calling this the crystallization of discontent. And I like what Brian was talking about earlier. He was saying that God is doing this work that we're looking at right now. And I think remembering the beginning of COVID, many of us were very discouraged. Maybe we still are frustrated, like what is happening, all these lockdowns. But some of us resolved to see this as this is the hand of God. Every nation on earth was shut down. I mean, when has that happened in the history of the world? That every nation has been on lockdown. And some some of us resolve to see this as this is the hand of God. We're going to wait patiently and see what God is doing. And we have this story all throughout biblical history that God does these unique things in the midst of his people where he frustrates their plans. He brings them to the ends of themselves that they might turn back to him, that they might refocus or that they might recalibrate. You might remember there's this passage even in 2 Corinthians where Paul says, we were given over to death. We were in this situation where we despaired of life, but he said, but this happened in order that we might trust in God who raises the dead. So picture that, right? You're in a situation and you're looking at where is my hope? How am I gonna get out of this? What am I gonna do? And actually what's happening is God has led you into that situation because you have lost your focus. You have lost your way. You have forgotten that God has a way and a path and a plan that he wants to lead you, that he wants to lead his people in. And so we believe truly that God is the one in control of the universe. God has allowed this to happen, and he has done this that his people might come to the crystallization of discontent. We might come to the end of ourselves so that we might do what this psalm says. Listen, in verse eight, the psalmist says, let me hear what God the Lord will speak. I'm done. I'm done trying to figure it out. I'm done complaining. I'm done arguing. I'm done. And now I'm ready to listen, Lord, to what you want to do, 
to what your plan is, to what your path is. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him in order that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps a way. So what's going on here? In verse nine, the psalmist speaks for a desire of both the Lord's peace and God's glory to fill the land. And it's interesting, if you look at a little bit of the background of Psalm 85, many believe that this is actually connected to this prophetic word out of Haggai. So Haggai and Zechariah are seeing it in one way, and the psalmist, right, these songwriters, these prayer writers of Israel are kind of getting a different version of the same vision. What is that? Well, as I mentioned and Brian mentioned, deliverance out of Babylon was followed by very lean times, right? Economically, physically, spiritually, the people were devastated. They were pessimistic and they were without hope. But the promise in that desolate situation was that the, form, or the former glory would not compare with the glory that would come. And specifically in the psalm, what I love about it is in Haggai 2, we see that the glory is going to fill the temple. And that is a beautiful and wonderful thing. God will return and worship will be restored. But here in Psalm 85, the temple is not mentioned. Here in Psalm 85, the whole land is filled with the peace and the glory of God. And so the way that I see the two of these coming together, if you take these passages and these prophetic words together, is could it be that God's desire is to fill the temple in such a way that his glory overwhelms or overflows the temple? You remember that passage, it's in, um, I think, Ezekiel 48. And we're told there that God's glory fills the temple in such a way that it floods over and it spills out into the land. And everywhere this water touches, this glory touches, it brings healing, it brings life, it brings renewal. See, what the psalmist envisions here is that God is going to do such a powerful work, it's going to even overwhelm the temple and it's gonna flow into the whole land so that, like the, this beautiful biblical vision that we see again and again, the glory of the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's the vision here in Psalm 85. And I think that this is a incredibly poignant passage for our situation as we've been talking about. God has and is shaking all nations. Every nation under earth has been radically affected physically, economically, socially, ex spiritually by this pandemic. He's shaking his church. He's shaking us out of complacency. He's bringing us to that moment of discontent that we would cry out in a renewed fervor, Lord, do something new, do something fresh, bring life. He's shaking us out of comfortability, out of settling for the status quo. And I believe that he is doing this that we might cry out, Lord, revive us again. Lord, do all that is in your heart to do. Now, 
I think sometimes the question is, well, if God wants to do that, if God wants to pour out his spirit, if God wants to bring renewal and revival, why doesn't he just do it? Anybody ever feel that way? God, if you just want to save everybody, then just do it. You're God. Well, we cannot forget that a huge theme of the Bible is that God loves to partner with human beings. God loves to include humanity in his work. We see this from the very beginning, right? Adam and Eve were created to be God's partners, that they were to fill the whole earth with God's image and God's glory. And we know that this is why we have been redeemed. We've been purchased so that we might make known the glory of God, his image, that we might make known his kingdom in all the earth. We have been invited into this holy partnership sent on God's mission to fill the whole earth with his glory, to be the light of the world, to be a holy priesthood, to be a city on a hill. There's so many passages that talk about that. So that same invitation of holy partnership stands today. And I love the way that this psalm pictures it. It says that the righteousness of the heavens would come down and faithfulness of the earth would spring up. So picture that. It's like this coming together in the middle of heaven and earth, this partnership with God, faithfulness of the earth springing up, righteousness raining down, and together coming together in a kind of holy partnership. And this is how God will bring revival and renewal to the world. So if that's what God wants to do, what does that look like? How is it done? How do we prepare? What is holy partnership? Well, the psalm ends saying his footsteps give us the way or path to walk. And so I just wanna talk about that for one minute and then we'll wrap things up. But if you look historically at the patterns of revival and renewal throughout history, what we see are two things. We see the fire of God, God's holy presence, heaven touching earth, but we also see formation. We see spiritual formation. We see the church returning back to the essentials, to orthodoxy, and I think specifically to the way of Jesus. Remember, the early church were a people that were marked by the way. They were called little Christs because their lives were patterned after the way of Jesus. And I really believe when you look specifically at the church in America, we have really gotten far away from that, so much so that we even have secular prophets that are critiquing the church, saying the church doesn't look a whole lot like Jesus. The church seems to be violent and angry and judgmental and all these things. So church, what we need to do is we need to get back to the way of Jesus. I believe that is what the faithfulness of earth springing up looks like. Spiritual formation around the way, the person of Jesus. And I've talked about this quite a bit since being here, but I believe that that happens in, in basically three steps. It's by us prioritizing being with Jesus, being those who would spend time with Jesus, meditating on his person, thinking about his ways, thinking about his posture and even just his tone with broken people, with sinful 
rebellious people. We look at Jesus and we just let the life, like we let our lives kind of marinate in the life of Jesus. Then the second thing we do is we practice the way of Jesus. What we see Jesus doing, we're going to do those same things. We're going to speak with the same grace that Jesus speaks with. We're going to speak with the same truth that Jesus speaks with. We're going to be generous like Jesus. We're going to be kind like Jesus. We're going to be faithful like Jesus. We're going to practice the way of Jesus. And then lastly, we're going to do what Jesus did. Right? Jesus preached the good news. He healed all who were afflicted by the devil. He lives sacrificially and like a servant. We're going to do these things that Jesus did. And by doing those things, as we practice them again and again, they become a part of us. They become second nature so that we ourselves grow to become like Jesus. We call this sanctification, right? But I believe this is what the Lord is calling us to do. This is the faithfulness of earth. But we also need the righteousness of heaven raining down. And only God can do that. Only God can bring the fire of his spirit that we need. So I, I, you know, I think about there's that passage in the Old Testament about Elijah with the prophets of Baal. And I know that this is kind of an obscure passage to bring up now. But you think about how Elijah there, he builds this altar. He builds it and he prepares the sacrifice but then there is this simple prayer. Oh, Lord, God of our fathers, make it known this day that you are God. And he prays this very simple prayer. And there, after the prayer, the fire of God comes down from heaven and it consumes the whole sacrifice. This is what we want to see the Lord do. That we would prepare this holy people. That we would get back to the way of Jesus, preparing this sacrifice it would be pleasing to the Lord, but that we would wait in anticipation for the fire of God to light it, to consume it, to fulfill it. And we believe that this is the work that God wants to do. And as he does this work, it will overflow the walls of this community, this church specifically, but the church in general. It would overflow and it would spill out into Costa Mesa and into Irvine and into Huntington Beach and into Newport and into Orange and into Garden Grove, that the whole county of Orange would be filled with the glory of God because his people have been lit on fire and are practicing the way of Jesus. We believe that God has more to do we believe that there are more to be brought in. We believe greater things are to come. Greater evidences of God's grace and mercy and his love of sinners. But I think it really depends on us. There's a pastor down in Australia. His name is Mark Sayers. And he, said, he studies revivals, studies history, Christian history specifically. And he says, according to my calculations, America is prime for revival. But the question is, will it be a Jesus revival? And I really do believe church, not just church Costa Mesa, church in general, that really depends on us. Will we give ourselves... Will we return to the way of Jesus? Will we become apprentices, disciples of the master and follow him? Not Christianity, not maybe our creed or denomination or, you know, 
the different ways in which Christianity is expressed in this culture and in another culture, but will we follow Jesus? Will we become true disciples of him? And I believe how we answer that call depends on the future. Yes, amen. So just with those last few words there that Char was saying, I want you to think about this. And some of you will be able to think about it from your own experience, and some of you will maybe think about it from stuff you've heard, and some of you might not even have a context for it. But there is a reason why we have something that is now known historically as the Jesus People Movement. Because it was about Jesus. There was a bunch of people that met Jesus. And that's how, that's how it happens. A bunch of people meeting Jesus. And you know, most of us here probably know him already. That's why we're here. But maybe we need to get reacquainted. Maybe we need to reconnect. Maybe we need to remember what, what being a Jesus person is really about. And because, you know, over time, I think that's got lost. It's got lost in a lot of different things. So, um, but here's, I, I want to finish with this because these passages are, con- all these passages are connected. As we mentioned, Zechariah, Zechariah was there also with Haggai uh, prophesying. And the question was, you know, th- this whole project looked impossible. It just looked absolutely impossible. It was insurmountable. And from the human standpoint, and I think if we're honest and we look at the, the current situation in the world today, and we know in the end the world's not going to, everybody's not going to get saved. Jesus is going to come back and fix the world, not the church, not us. But the, the church in each community, the, um, the colony of life in the country of death, we can have an impact that can reach far and wide. So, but, but we look around and we think, come on, how could that even happen? That's exactly how everybody felt when Haggai and Zechariah prophesied the way they did. They felt like, come on, how can this happen? Well, Zechariah gave the answer. Chapter four, verse six, here it is. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. It happens by the spirit of God. And this, like Char said, if we're, you know, I mean, we could just sit around and say, okay, God, you gotta do this. You know, we're gonna go fishing or <laughs> surfing or something. Um, but God works with his people. And so, but, the, but the, um, the brunt of the effort is on the shoulders of the Lord. And the Lord himself, he will do it, not through our energy or ingenuity, but through his spirit. And then verse seven, I love verse seven because it says this, what are you, mighty mountain? This is what the, the task was like to Zerubbabel. It was like a mountain in front of him. What are you, mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. 
God will make a way. He'll flatten it all out. And then here's the beautiful thing. And then they will bring out the capstones, the final stone on the, on the rebuilt temple. They will bring out the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. God's going to do it by his grace. And so be encouraged. Be encouraged. Don't lose heart. Be strong. Believe God. And let's keep working. Let's keep building. Let, let's build with the, <coughs> the expectation. When they were building this, they had little hope that anything was really going to happen. God says, something's going to happen. Keep building. The glory of this latter house will be greater than the glory of the former. And we know in the, uh, the near fulfillment of this was actually that Jesus himself came to this rebuilt Zerubbabel temple. So um, as we worship, as we close today, um, just take this moment to say, Lord, you know, where am I at in, in this picture? And God, I, I want to be renewed with you if I need to be. <clears throat> I want to have my vision sharpened. I want to get rid of the excess baggage that I'm dragging around. I want to stop worrying about things that I don't have any control over. I want to just give myself to you. So the worship team is going to come out in a moment and do that. But before, we just had a little, um, beautiful little video that um, was made. And just share about that real quick, and then we'll show it. And you take a glass, glass of water. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so um, I was able to partner with uh, Christine, who heads up our graphics department, and also Christian Jeffries. And we uh, did a little video together. It's really beautiful. They did such a great job. So um, kudos to them. Uh, but I just want to say, so that's going to play. It's only a minute long. But I just want to say a short prayer just in closing, and then we'll watch the video. And so that's just that prayer out of Habakkuk. Would you guys join me in this? Lord, we have heard of your fame. We stand in awe of your deeds. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. And so, Lord, we do. We present ourselves to you as your vessels, as your people. Form and shape us in the way of Jesus. And, Lord, do this work. Pour out your spirit. Revive us, renew us in our time, Lord, for your glory, for the wonderful name of Jesus, and for his sake we pray. Amen.